Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Kyle Tolzman with us here today, who is a teacher, entrepreneur, speaker, coach, podcaster, and writer. His experience over the past 17 years has helped him bring his message of action and excellence to thousands far and wide. His mission is to help as many people and organizations understand and believe that average mindset and actions lead to average lives and organizations. Tolzman is a host of the Against All Average podcast, where he interviews entrepreneurs and world changers about their lives and key factors that have led them to where they are today. Be Against All Average. Kyle, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Hey, what's going on, Jesse? It's great to be on your show finally. Yeah, man. Likewise, it's, it's great to have you here and I'm excited we're going to get to spend some time together today. Yeah, me as well. Let's get into this thing. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So Looking I, forward I, to it. Yeah, me too, man. And I love, I love conversations about mindset because I feel like mindset is the thing that we all have some sort of say-so over. We all have some sort of control over. And it also seems to be the thing that oftentimes it will be wielded against us in terms of trying to leverage that we don't have control over it and that we need to have outside input. So when you, when you embrace this notion of average mindset, what, what, let's define average mindset first, just so we have a framework to operate from. Yeah, I think when, when I think of, I started the Against All Average podcast to basically state that we want to be away from average as much as we possibly can. And so my definition of an average lifestyle is kind of just going through the motions, um, working a job that you you may like it, but you don't love it. Uh, there's days where you get up and, and you just trudge through it. And and I watched, I, I watched my dad go through this for, since he was 18 until the day that he retired, he worked the same exact job. And there wasn't that fulfillment there. His drive was to make sure that his family was taken care of. And he's the most caring um, and consistent individual ever. And that worked for him. But when I saw that, I was like, I definitely want more for my life as far as being able to really impact others, whether it's um, I'm a high school teacher, I've been a coach, I've coached all the way down to little first grade bobbleheads, their heads are all bouncing around out there on the field. And I just wanted to be able to have that impact. So my mindset with that against all average is like, you just look around and what is the average person's life looking like? How much time do they get to spend with their kids? How much vacation time do they get? What's their stress level? And so I've tried to build um, the podcast and some training around getting our minds out of the mundane day-to-day life and switch from what I have to do to what I love to do and start changing your life that way. Kyle, it sounds like your dad was largely influential in you developing your own mindset. I'm curious, did you see your dad or Did you observe him routinely sacrificing time with family, his enjoyment of life for going to that job that he didn't necessarily enjoy? Yeah, definitely. And and he's not one to talk about it. He's not one to complain about it. But as you kind of looked through, it was definitely the last five years, it was definitely punching the clock. It was, um, he traveled an hour to work each way. And it was just kind of, what he did. There wasn't necessarily inspiration there. And 
I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't see myself in a while ago when I switched into teaching, I couldn't see myself going down that road and going down that route where I wake up every day and I'm just like, Oh damn it again. Like again, like the same exact thing. And so um, just that, that feeling of living and working and, and trying to mesh the entire lifestyle together to figure out what kind of impact can you have emotionally, physically, financially. And I'm a huge community person. So like, I like to see everything happening right where I am and mm. start to build from there. And so, um, you know, with my dad's work situation, yeah, he kind of did that. But like on the other side, he's so caring. He's so giving. Um, he had the right mindset there. And it would have been really cool to see him uh, continue to evolve into teaching or uh, coaching or, or any way where he connects with people because I get that from him. He has a special way of connecting with people and everybody know, likes, and trusts him. He's six six with a big white flat top, a big old belly laugh. Like he's like, he like shows up and it's just the entertainment. And so mm. I, I, I take that part from him in the lifestyle aspect of being against all average. He's definitely all against all average as far as taking care of family, friends, those he doesn't know, and taking and being a part of his community. And then on the other side, my mom was a sales, um, an insurance sales agent for a long time. So I get kind of that energy and that like wildness, the, the craziness, the, the that kind of twinkle in the eye, um, because I enjoy the I enjoy the chase. I enjoy the hustle. I enjoy the puzzle of trying to figure out and, and weave in business concepts and creating businesses while still being true to myself. What do you feel is the biggest obstacle from somebody? Well, actually let's, let's, let's back this up first. How does one begin to develop a, an average mindset? Meaning, what are the seeds? What is the fuel to the average mindset? And then we'll we'll shift gears of how do we grow out of that, or how do we develop or evolve out of that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think we start out, we start out in our different communities and our different family structures, and sometimes we grow up in a family that is content with the nine to five job, with punching the clock, with um, you know, going on vacation once a year. And so I think it's just who we surround ourselves with. Um, everybody, everybody can say that uh, it's easy to get out of an average lifestyle, or it's easy to get out of the lower class to get into the middle class or the middle class into the upper class. However, your environment shapes who you are. And who you spend the most time around is really going to shape you. So it depends on the schools you go to, the teachers you have, how much time you spend at home, how much time you spend with your aunt and uncle, grandma and grandpa. What did they do? What are their thoughts about money? What are their thoughts about success? What are their thoughts about lifestyle? So it's so easy to get in the flow of average and living an average life when it's everything that you see. It's everything that you're around and then you become it. Hmm. And so I think that's the, the biggest key that I'm seeing and that what I see as a coach, what I see as a teacher is the environment plays the biggest roles in our lives. 
I find that so fascinating because I think the environment is the point of contention that you'll hear most people will often say, well, what, when they're, when you, when we approach people with how do we change, what do we want to change? And people will say, I need to change. And then there's the, but I can't because, and inevitably it always seems like that, but is something environmental. I can't change the people I work with. I can't change the, the people I live with. I can't change where I'm living, those types of things. So somebody who's listening to this and they're wanting to evolve from an average to the next level mindset, but they are up against those environmental, those environmental handicaps, if you will. How does one begin to develop their mindset beyond that and overcome the limitations that the environment imposes on them? Yeah, man, you, Jesse, you have some amazing questions right now. This is, this is a topic I'm so passionate about. I think we get stuck in the rut of habits as well as stuck in our environment. So if you cannot change the environment, you must change the habits. So for example, if my habit is I eat dinner, uh, I spend some time with the family, and then I go drink beers in the driveway from six o'clock to 11 p.m. every night, you're going to stay in the same mental mindset of getting up groggy starting late and having a negative mindset for the rest of the day. However, if you ate dinner, spent time with the kids, maybe uh, watch a TV show with your wife or your significant other, and then you took a little walk. And on that walk, you started to think of three things that you were grateful for. Your mindset would automatically change in the morning. You get up again, you remind, those th you remind yourself of those three things that you're seriously grateful for, and they can be small. We, we talk about gratitude, and so many people have talked about gratitude, but as, as simple as, holy moly, I got up today, and my body doesn't feel all that bad. Like, my <laughs> knees aren't aching, my, my ankles aren't aching, my back feels good. Um, you know, I've got a good breakfast down in the uh, refrigerator. And starting to shift your mindset from all the problems in your life to how do we start solving them little by little? So I definitely say change up the habits, a little bit of gratitude goes a long way. And then the biggest one that I'm looking at, and, the, and when I listen to people talk, especially a friend, I, I was at a party the other night and some friends from high school, just the mindset of what is possible and what is impossible sometimes shapes our entire view of the world. If someone thinks that they have to work a nine to five for the rest of their life and they'll never make more than $60,000 a year, for example, they can't, they won't. Their mind won't let, let them be free enough to actually achieve the skills and confidence to go to that next level. So there's, there's so many layers here, Jesse, and I don't want to go on too long about it, but simply put, how do we get out of that average mindset? We must change the habits if we cannot change the environment we must be grateful for the little things and we must know that it's possible and live a life where our mind continues to think that it is possible and reminding ourselves day in and day out that anything is possible for us in this world. I love that answer, Kyle. I want to, I want to dig in a little bit on that. I have long espoused that I think the two biggest businesses in the world are fear and mediocrity. I think that when you have businesses of fear and mediocrity, it, 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 the byproduct of that is limitation, right? The byproduct of that is that I am unable to rise above my situation. So therefore I need 
someone or something else to help me rise. You know, politicians, news, talking heads wield fear and mediocrity as if it's a, you know, a double coupon to the grocery store or something like that, that there's just an unlimited supply of it. And I'm, at, I'm, I'm prefacing this with this. I know you do a lot of work coaching with kids. And oftentimes it seems our culture is getting to a place where everybody has a megaphone. And so you have these, these fear and mediocrity dogmas that will get espoused out into the world. And then people will pick up their megaphone and run with it, depending on where their own mindset is. And the unfortunate byproduct that is, is a trickle down effect to the kids where now I think this generation is growing up in a world where there's a lot of people yelling very loudly. I'm wondering how do you, and then in such their environment habits, everything is inundated with that. So how do you as a coach, how do you engage in this younger generation and help them cultivate a mindset to help them shift out of the noise and block out and really see into that world of possibility because fear and mediocrity thrive on impossibility, right? They thrive on the idea that you can't rise above a $30,000 or $60,000 job. You can't rise above a nine to five that you need to have this organization or this institution to be there to take care of you. And that's a, that's a heavy, heavy narrative for a sponge like kid child teenager to grow up into and so you have you have this really privileged position i think in that you get to work directly with the minds not in just sport but with the minds of these kids so i'm wondering like how do you communicate with them to help them sift through the noise yeah you're completely right The, the fear and mediocrity that plays in in our in our lowest socioeconomic communities that song plays so freaking loud jesse Like it just, it is on repeat in these kids' heads that because this high, for example, let's take lacrosse, for example, I took over a a high school program in in 2015 and I was the head coach and I just, I stopped coaching last year for uh, working on other ventures. But when I came in, it wasn't all skill-based. It wasn't that we, we couldn't shoot the ball accurately. It wasn't that we weren't athletic. It wasn't that we could not play physical defense. It was exactly what you're saying. It was that song in their heads mm. of I'm not good enough and they're better and, and I'm this. And so what's funny is you would think as a coach that, that I'm just talking about skill and I'm teaching skill and you can't do this when, when, when A, B, and C happens, you must do this and you must do that. What the people didn't see in, the, in our rise of success over those five years from you know, I took over a, a team that, that had very few wins and, and built it into a top 10 program by the time that I left. And, and we were very consistent. But the biggest key was the time in the classroom. Hmm. The biggest key was those talks beforehand about it doesn't matter the color of the other team's jersey. It doesn't matter the name on the other team's jersey we have to focus on ourselves and believe in ourselves that anything's possible. And you see this looping coming back from what I spoke about earlier. If we think it is not possible to beat team X, you can't beat them. Mm. If you don't have every player in the entire organization on the same page, knowing that we can go in there and not only compete, but win. 
and playing to win instead of not playing to lose is an against all average mindset. The average mindset is like, oh, I hope we don't get our butts kicked. Or holy moly, it's the white and teal jerseys. Those guys were second in state last year, so I can't compete. And so I like to circle back lacrosse and teaching back into life. Isn't that the same exact philosophy that we need to go into a job interview with, that we need to speak on stage with? If we get introduced to a a quote unquote big wig, don't we need to know that we can win in that situation? And by win, I mean building a relationship or creating rapport or being able to uh, further your business and your life. And so fear and mediocrity in the minds of kids today must be taught out of them. It must be a consistent habit and environmental shift. I can control what they hear, what they see, and how they compete when they're around myself and my coaching staff. The hardest part of possibility mindset and becoming against all average is going back into that environment that you previously were and spending a lot of time in those environments. And some of our kids, they have no control over that. And that's, that's one of the saddest pieces with online education is I can't control as much of the 1,500 kids at my high school, what they're around, what they're thinking, how they're talking. I, I can't interject when they, they're starting to talk negatively about themselves or about their lives. So, so, so super important that when they're pumped through this fear and mediocrity, that we have to consistently talk about it the other way. There's not enough people talking about possibility mindset, being positive and being grateful. Even though like you and I see it on Instagram or Facebook a lot, it's because of the people that we follow. Our world as a whole would benefit so much from continuing with these possibility mindset, taking small steps, being okay with failure, and and the list goes on and on. So that's a that's an action-packed question, Jesse, and I did my best to, uh, to explain my thinking with it, uh, but I think there's just so much more to, to unpack when we talk about the, the consistent fear and mediocrity that the media and a lot of uh, those around us continue to try to inject into our heads. Kyle, I'm curious, just, this is just a kind of an offside question, but it just came to me. What is the, you've been in education now for several years, what is the biggest change that you're seeing in kids showing up from when you first started your career to now in terms of, is there, is there a, what's the word I'm looking for? So I think about when I went into high school and you're dealing with the, the societal pressure, but it's in that little community. You're not competing with social media. You're not competing with everything else. And it's fascinating now because talking to parents who have kids in high school and it's what they're up against is not only are they dealing with those normal social pressures that are in the physical space, but it's also the pressure of what it means to be compared to this person on Instagram or this person on TikTok. And then also too, the socialization piece, right? I I volunteered several years ago for this organization called Crisis Text Line. And it was utterly fascinating to see that when people would write in about a crisis relating to relationship, probably 20 to 30% of those people writing in on the relationship was with somebody they were had a relationship with that was a digital relationship. They'd never physically met in person. So, so much of the world has become digitized, right? I, I was talking with a lady who's a doctor of chiropractic and she was saying in chiropractics now, there's actually a new bone forming at the base of the skull 
on young people and they're seeing arthritis occurring in young people because of this posture that kids right. are growing up in. And so now you're starting to see early to late teens for arthritic symptoms and causes. And there's a bone that they're calling, I think they're calling it a horn or something for lack of better. So I'm wondering what have you observed as a change in culture of student culture over the last several years of your career? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Well, here's the thing. Nothing's changed and everything's changed. As far as there's more access, I would say, to, to social media. And, and when they're coming in, like kids are kids. When you can break them down, when you can get them to put the phone away for 15 to 30 minutes and really start to break them down and get their mind out of the cycle of social media and influence, things become a lot easier. The most difficult part is the constant access to phones when you're trying to teach. I mean, that's the, I'll tell you that that is the most frustrating thing is they are addicted just as one is addicted to drugs. They are completely addicted to the dopamine hit of TikTok, Instagram, text messages, etc. When their pocket buzzes from a text or a notification, it is dang near impossible for them not to pull it out. And they're willing to go, you know, get suspended or, or go to the principal's office or get kicked out of class. It's like, they have no control. And I think that that's something that we don't talk about enough is, is uh, digital addiction. Because mm. there is so many, and I have a, I have a seven-year-old and five-year-old and three-year-old at home. And you can see it if they're on a tablet too long. You start to see that the brain starts to rewire itself and it becomes an attachment, an addiction. You try to take it away. It's like, no, no, no. Like, like their whole world starts to fall apart. And so I think we need to start talking about digital addiction a little bit more in classrooms. We need to start to create curriculum to balance it and what it is and what we can control. I think parents can turn the notifications off on their kid's phone and have it a steadfast rule. Our kids are living their life based on what the social media app tells them to do. Like people have notifications all on their phone of Instagram and Facebook. I, I don't understand how they, they can possibly do it. I don't understand how they can get through their day. And then I start to see them in their actual day and they're struggling because their mind is all over the all over the place and the focus when i'm up in front of the room i could be doing cartwheels i could be jumping on desks the attention spans are a lot less so i would say that that's definitely the top two is we're starting to see more addictive types of habits habits with less focus and then ability to maintain focus um, and lastly what i'll say on that topic is just look how TV's changed. Look how shows have changed. If you look back into the 50s and 60s, TV shows didn't change camera views every two seconds. Mm -hmm. I urge everybody listening to this podcast to take a look at the, the latest Amazon Prime or Netflix or Disney release and see how many times the camera angle changes. Hmm. It's crazy. That's fascinating. I never considered that before. And I'm so grateful you brought up the addiction piece because my curiosity is this now, how does, how, in essence, it, it seems that what teachers are having to deal with in terms of all the other nonsense that teachers have to deal with, with whether it's state funding or the, the testing and all those kinds of things. And now you're having to manage classrooms with essentially a, a group of addicts 
in a way, right? And by no right. no mean, but it is the behavior is in the such the same as as someone who's going to go and get a drug from a dealer. It may not be the byproduct we may not see right away in terms of an overdose or some sort of violent behavior, but there are negative consequences. If we're actually starting to see arthritis showing up in young people because of developing bones, you know, humans, human skeletons had 200 and some bones for however many years. And now all of a sudden we're creating new bone growth. So there's right. definitely some, there's definitely some detrimental byproducts to it. I'm wondering how has that affected the, the vocation of teaching as a whole now having to having to try to teach while also understanding that you're teaching to a room of people who are essentially fighting addiction to learn. Yeah, well, here, here's the thing. And this is, this ties back into why I created that po the podcast, the against all average podcast, the average mindset would tell me to teach like I always did. Hmm. So now if I'm looking at the problem, like we've got addiction, but I'm still going to, like, I always talk, talk to my lacrosse players, like stop banging your head on the door when you have a key in your pocket. Stop trying to bust through the door physically when you have a tool to help with. And so what I've done in the classroom is just continue to connect, continue to connect on that, that as deep of level as I possibly can while keeping uh, things appropriate. And that's, that's hard in high school. You, you need to make sure that you're watching how you say things and, and how much you talk to one student over another. It's, it's crazy. But um, in order to teach addicts, <laughs> I mean, I hate to put it that way, but uh, in order to continue to get through to our kids uh, in classrooms, one, you have to build rapport. You have to know them by name. Don't screw up their name. You, you must know their name. You must know how to pronounce it. If you don't even know that first level of knowing your students' names, and I'm not going to name names, but there's hundreds and thousands of teachers that don't know their kids' names. Wow. They have no idea when they walk through the door who this kid is. So how are you going to help, help them if you don't even know their, their, the, the most fundamental piece. You know what happens when somebody screws up your name, right, Jesse? You feel kind of like, well, that, that person doesn't even know me. The, like I've, I've talked to that person for a year or I've interacted with them yeah. and they don't even know me. Like it, it makes you just, you feel hurt. Like it doesn't matter how old you are. It just makes you feel hurt. And so I think that's the, the big piece there. And then I shorten my presentations up. Uh, I start mixing things up as, as TV changes to, to keep camera angles changing and keep the shows flowing. I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's less delivery up front and there's more connection and relationship building as I walk around and I start to talk to each student because I have a, I, I, I teach in a public school. I have a wide range of motivation in there. I have some kids that have done nothing the entire school year. And when I mean nothing, I mean, there's never been a pencil taken out. There's never been a pen taken out. Uh, you know, there's, there's no pages read, anything like that. And so down deep, I, I know that my, my job as a teacher is so much more than teaching content. And I think that's what, I, I think that's what the outside doesn't understand. And maybe they understand a little bit more because of this pandemic, but as a teacher, mm. the smallest part of my job is actually teaching business, which is crazy. We need more help in the school systems with counseling and, and mental health help. That's so fascinating. Kyle, talk to me about, we were, we were talking a little bit beforehand about the, 
the dangers of getting into pity parties, you know, and there's a difference between, between allowing for, it's okay to have a day where we miss a workout. We don't eat perfectly. You know, we're going through, all of us have gone through this stuff these last several months and, and many of us in different ways than others, it, but we've all had our own personal battles with what's going on, whether it's with stress, anxiety, it's occupational changes, it's health changes. It's, it's, it's really confronting our mortality. There's this varying degree of it. So there's a big difference between allowance of a very human experience and we don't need to be the terminator and be completely emotionless and not feel versus going into a state where we're actually having pity parties and we're, we're beginning to get into the habit of creating an environment and behavior set that is basically taking a bath in our self-pity. So I was hoping that you might be able to touch on that a little bit about what a pity party can look like for someone who may not be aware that they are having one and then how we may put the kibosh on that party. Yeah, definitely. I think everybody needs their own timeline. If we're talking about grief here or we're talking about rough times or dark times, everybody needs to understand that their timeline is their own. And one of my good friends, Jenny Murison, came out with a book called Beautiful Thunder. And we had a mutual friend that was her boyfriend that passed away when she was in college. And in her book, she talks about all things grief related and how they go through. And the, the biggest takeaway and the biggest key was to focus on the little things that was, so she was like, some days I took a shower and that was the best thing that I did that day. But mindset wise, we could say, oh man, I didn't do anything today. I'm going backwards. All I, all I could do is, is bathe myself. But that's, that's really not fair to yourself, especially depending on the different levels of grief that you're going through or mourning that you're growing, going through. And it could be uh, the death of a family member or a loved one, or it could be simple as, as losing a job or, or your job changes. Uh, grief shows up in so many different ways. But I think what I really took away from that book, Beautiful Thunder, is that one, it's okay to take your time. And then two, we talk about the pity party, Jesse, and it's it's mindset related. We create mentally the pity party that everything is now going against me. The world is now working against me and not for me. Possibility mindset goes out the window. We forget about taking baby steps. We fear failure again. And so I don't mean pity party in a negative way. I understand that grief takes time. I understand that there's the ups and downs of life that, that we all have to get through. But I think what we need to think of before we start having a pity party is what worked before. What worked before when you were in a dark place? What worked before when, when life wasn't going so well and start to create the habits and environments that created happiness for you and that created that life that you wanted to to live. Um, it's just so, so important to, to reset, reset, even if it's every day, every hour, try your best to reset and be grateful for what's going on, whether it's good or bad, and, and try to hit that reset button as often as you need and stop being so damn hard on yourself when all you did was take a shower. All you did was mm. make yourself breakfast. We all go through those, those times, but it's important to always try your best to stay in the mindset of getting back to where you were happy, but being okay 
when your day doesn't amount to anything more than making yourself lunch and maybe taking a shower. Kyle, you and I connected earlier because we are co-contributors to a book that is going to be released sometime here in early September, I believe. And maybe you could tell everyone a little bit about your story that you contributed to that book. Yeah, I kind of talked about, we all know that the, uh, the world kind of slowed down a little bit in 2008 and 2009. I actually, I was working on a large marketing contract with Nike Spark Training when they came out with their first training, like training model slash training marketing since Bo Jackson. So it'd been mm. a while since they were getting in there. Under Armour was getting into the training game pretty well. Reebok was getting in there. And so they basically sent us out in trucks all across the country to test athletes. I didn't have to pay for anything. I had a good salary. I was having fun. I was writing blogs. I was creating video content, taking pictures. We got to see all the different places that I would have never seen in my life. And it all started crashing down. The economy started tanking. All the trucks got pulled off the streets. And I was like, man, what do I do? Like, what do I do in this situation? So I kind of, I started having a pity party a little bit. I was, I was back to my, my bedroom, my high school bedroom at my parents' house, sitting around collecting unemployment. I couldn't find a job. I was riddled with anxiety each and every day. I felt sick. Um, I, I just didn't know what to do. And my, my chapter was really about that situation and then what happened during this COVID situation. But like, what steps did I do then that I did now to push me forward. And it was as simple as one foot in front of the other. I eventually had to go to a temp agency and work a minimum wage job, taking phone calls at a call center from 4 a.m. to noon every single day. I left the house at 3 a.m. I was running on three, four hours of sleep and I just kept on moving forward. I kept on moving forward and I, I started to apply for, um, my, uh, excuse me, started to apply for master's programs for teaching. Like, I didn't know that I, that I needed to be a teacher, but I knew that I had to move forward. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. My master's in teaching has opened up so many doors and opened up so much confidence. The, the student debt that I currently have based on the confidence that the master's program gave me was second to none. So mm. my chapter is all about uh, the ups and downs of what do we do when we're down? And we start talking a little bit about that against that all average mindset of gratitude and everything is possible and uh, that the world's working for us and not against us. And one of my favorite ones is, is too many entrepreneurs and big time CEOs are like, it really comes down to what you say no to. Hmm. And I think people hear that. Well, yeah, maybe if you're at the top and you have a thousand people trying to get at you every single day, but when you're in a rut, when you're trying to row that boat upriver and you're just struggling and you're struggling, say yes to every positive opportunity, every positive meeting, every positive dinner, like anything in your heart and soul that you feel is positive and in going in a positive direction, say yes to it. I started a podcast. We're on episode, we're in the twenties or yeah, I think mid twenties now. I just said yes to it. I was, I was done kind of living in, in, in this thought that we, oh, we can't play lacrosse. I can't run that company. We can't do tournaments. We can't do this. Instead, I started saying yes to that. And what's funny is then I start building these cool connections. Little did I know I'd be 
on a call right now on your podcast. This is cool. This is unbelievable. Like this yeah. is, this is fun. This is fulfilling. And I feel that I'm giving value to every single listener that's listening. And this is free. The same thing that Jesse you're doing with yours is unbelievable. Think of how many people you're helping with these little podcasts that you just didn't even, you didn't even know when you started, but you started you took a step and you said yes to a new challenge and new possibilities. A positive mindset and saying yes are two things that, that just change my trajectory and my mood. I'm not saying I'm always happy in these crazy times with three kids running around and, and playing jungle gym and hitting, hitting each other and that type of thing. But again, I, I reset and I, and I find value in, in gratitude and the things that are going well. I'll never have an, this much time with my kids again. If I go, you know, like this is the most home time as a high school teacher that I'll have. And that makes me really uh, consider the, the worth of everything that I do, in, in, including those long coaching hours and those types of things. So that's what my chapter is about in a nutshell. Kyle, before I ask my final question, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Kyle Tolsman. You can find the podcast on Instagram against all average. The latest project is that podcast. So www.againstalleverage.com. And uh, same thing for Facebook. You can find me at Kyle Tolsman or uh, follow the against all average podcast where we interview successful entrepreneurs about how to lead an against all average life. Kyle, this has been such an incredible conversation and I'm curious what is what what do you consider a well-lived day we started off talking about the average mindset and there is in that average mindset there's an absence of fulfillment I guess another way of phrasing that would be what do you consider well-lived or what do you consider to be a fulfilled day well, I think for me personally, yeah. So I, I think in general, we have to shape, we have to know what is fulfilling and what is energizing for us to go. Uh, but for me, if I can wake up before the kids, that's number one. I have a little, uh, little time to just kind of think and mentally plan out the day. I don't start uh, writing anything. I don't open the computer. I don't grab a pen. Uh, just thinking about something. Uh, next would be movement. Any type of walking, meditation, or yoga is when I'm at my best. I'm still working on that. That's my. That's the big goal that I have uh, right now is just kind of being more cognizant of my fitness um, and how that affects me mentally. Um, the next one, just you know, spend time with the kids, getting breakfast going, hanging out, getting them all set up, whatever they need, and uh, just creating calm. The the biggest thing mm -hmm. for someone entrepreneurs in general, I think is we get keyed up. If, if an email comes in or, or we have too much on our mind, I think we get keyed up. So if I can separate myself from business and just live life for the first part of the day until, you know, 9, 10, 10 a.m. or even 8 a.m., um, that's definitely the, the best for me. Getting a little work in is important as well. Something that I'm passionate about. And then, uh, yeah, just, just spending as much time as I can, uh, quality time with family heading to the beach. We're pretty, pretty close to the beach or heading to central Oregon, going swimming, all those different types of things. So 
Um, if my day is not completely planned out, those empty blocks go directly to family. Everyone, wow, was there a lot here? You are going to want to rewatch, re-listen. And if you didn't take notes the first round, you're going to want to take notes the second round. This became a beautiful symphony that Kyle laid out for us on mindset and what it means to really pursue and live excellence in life. I love that he contrasted in the very early on with what mindset, average mindset is to a much more excellent mindset about going through and just kind of accepting and, and going through the, the routine of it all like his dad did, accepting the one hour commute each way, doing a job that may not be meaningful and is certainly not fulfilling. And just going and surviving through life until you get to that retirement age. And I love that he drew the notion, he drew the example of how much joy is in his father's heart. But it sounded like that in that story, his dad sacrificed so much of living that joy for the job that he thought he had to have. You know, you get the image of the six foot six, I believe, guy with the big belly laugh. And you just think those are the, you want to see those personalities laugh and laugh a lot. And it doesn't sound like his job afforded him many opportunities to laugh which then shifted into environment. Our environment seems to be the biggest influencer in our mindset. And for all of us, we need to be mindful of our environments. When we cannot, when we may not be able to make the changes with the people we work with or the people we're living with, especially right now in these circumstances, Kyle laid out about how we have to start with little basic things, getting grateful, daily acts of gratitude, looking at what we can control for ourselves, whether it's writing it down and taking those little micro actions every day. But to be cognizant and consistent with it, that's really key because there is something that you can control and you and you alone do have power to affect and shape and change your environment, even though it may not seem like it. And when we talked a little bit about the fear and mediocrity of business, the, those who espouse that dogma will very much have you believe that you have no control whatsoever on your environment, but it's not true at all. By choosing to be grateful, by choosing to see the silver lining, by choosing to look for where you can create, what opportunities you are. I love that, you know, what ended up happening then from that is Kyle gave such an incredible example of his teaching role, right? Going in and talking about how we have a generation now that's dealing with digital addiction and not, this isn't just kids too. I think many, most, and not all of the population is dealing with some form of digital addiction. And that can be a completely different set of challenges for teachers who may already be dealing with challenging environments, but rather than allowing the environment to dictate his outcome with his students, throwing his hand up, surrendering and saying, well, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm not Apple. I'm not Google. I can't stop that, <clears throat> which would be what a average mindset may do, which very much feeds into that fear and mediocrity type of sales pitch. He looked and said, what can I control? What can I do about the environment? He, he made the observation of how TVs and shows are making quick cuts. And so rather than going into long, drawn-out lectures, he's shortening content on the upfront to focus more on connection. He's seeing beyond the addiction to see where is the addiction coming from. Any sort of addiction, whether it's digital or drugs, is always coming because it's supplementing a need because there's a lack. And I think for most of the people who will be fine their, their choice of addiction, be it digital or narcotics or whatever that might be, it's, in general, it's inevitably often attributed to a lack of love, a lack of connection, a lack of meaning and purpose in life. And so we turn to something else or substance to do that. So how incredible is that to be in an environment may seem out of control because he's not home with the kids. He's not controlling their media thing. But instead of looking at what he can't control, he's finding that one thing he can. And this is a powerful example for each of us of how we all have some sort of safe so and influence in our, in our 
environments and how it develops mindset. Fast forward to the end and talking about how, what a well-lived day looks like for Kyle, you know, and talking about how important it is to get clarity on it. It, it amazes me that whenever I talk to folks who are driven, who are passionate, who are determined, when they identify what a well-lived day is for them, it often comes back to the simplest things in life. You know, he was talking about his stuff, getting up, doing movement, having quiet clarity time, and then any time that's not blocked out for other stuff goes right back to family. I think many of us could serve ourselves well to look at that as a model of what really matters to us, what's really most important, what really truly is a meaningful and well-lived day for each of us. And perhaps the biggest opportunities for a well-lived day are in some of the simplest things that are already afforded and available to us. And if we can learn to find joy and gratitude in that and embrace them as the lottery winners that each of us are, imagine what an upper hand that will give you on developing the mindset that you really desire, the mindset that's going to help you achieve, succeed, and win in life in a way that leaves you truly fulfilled. Kyle, this has been such an incredible opportunity to spend this time with you, man. I so appreciate you being here, and I so appreciate how you are showing up to the world and serving others during this time. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to many more conversations to come. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure to be on your show, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing uh, with this podcast to help so many others out there. Absolutely, man. We'll see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to.